It's like you can't believe everything influencers say on Instagram. When will we learn? Uncaged Wisdom, Cheetah Digital's podcast for modern marketing. Hello, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of Uncaged Wisdom, the podcast for modern marketers. I'm Julian Bracey Davis. We like words. Words are good. If we can make words and sentences better in our communications, well, by gum we'll try. Having the bestest words and sentences is also very important to the brands we work with as they try to find the right things to say to individual consumers. With that in mind, on this special episode of Uncaged Wisdom, we are joined by Canada's best export since Rush and Keanu Reeves. Parry Marm is the CEO at Frazy, an AI-powered SaaS platform that revolutionizes customer experiences through brand language optimization. Parry will be telling us how Frazy is rewriting the digital marketing playbook one optimized word at a time. So let's see what he has to say. What is an ad piece that really influenced your desire to join marketing? So like growing up on the mean streets of the suburbs of Vancouver in Canada in the early 90s, you did a few things. Number one, you grew a mullet. Number two, you watched hockey. And number three, you knew everything about every wrestler to ever step into the squared circle. And um, what really attracted me to wrestling was first of all the drama of it where it was storytelling but nobody ever got hurt you know beyond the the injuries that the sports entertainers get through the plying of their craft one thing that always stuck with me though is how every single wrestler who is successful always had a catchphrase and those catchphrases have stuck with me throughout the years so like if you ever wonder what it smells like when the rock is cooking or give me a hell yeah and that's the bottom line because stone cold said so or even going back further and old kurt henning saying and that's perfect these things just stick in your mind and it always sort of struck me that it's it's really impactful and when you can get you know twenty thousand people at the peony agrodome in east vancouver saying your catchphrase along with you then you really got something there. And it really sort of showed me what the, what the power, the limitless power of language can have. The moose had like phrases as well. I mean, I was always partial to Brett the Hitman Hart sharpshooter. Cause like once you got, once he locked it in, you were done. Like <laughs> just, there's no coming back. It's game over, man. Game over. How did you find yourself in Europe? What's the sort of the origin story? I guess wrestlers have origin stories and, and superheroes, but what's your particular one? I've always been a bit of an Anglophile. My mum's English. My, my, like half my grandparents were English. Went there as a boy growing up and always just, you know, like, like back in the 90s, I'd, I'd like always just want to go to England. You know, I, I was and always specifically London, right? I was always had this thing about, you know, the Clash, the Sex Pistols, Blur, all those like seminal London bands. And I'm like, I need to be a part of that. So I found out, right, that um, by virtue of my grandmother being English, um, because my mom doesn't have an English passport, long story, my grandmother did. By virtue of her being English, I could get what they call a UK ancestry visa. So I got that and I said, okay, I'm just going to move to London. So I, I wound up in London in August of 2006. I had about a thousand pounds to my name and two suitcases. Um, and I just went there for two or three months just to experience life. And here I sit, you know, 
15 and a half years later and they haven't got rid of me yet. Yeah, we were in the ad world. So I started working brand side for a big multinational and did that for a few years, um, which are like, like the full gamut of marketing stuff, both from, you know, agency management, all the different channels, stuff like that. It was cool. And then, and then it was cool until it wasn't. So then I wound up joining one of our vendors um, who was a, um, a marketing technology provider. And I wound up working there for three and a half years. I rose to run the, um, the, the customer success function, which was cool. Um, had a great time doing that. And then I, I left there because I'd spent three and a half years there. And I was just like, I, I don't want to have a boss anymore. Um, and then I joined Frazy. Well, I didn't join Frazy. I kind of invented Frazy. What was the Frazy moment where you're like, actually, there's an idea here. When I was doing marketing brand side, I would send out millions of emails to millions of people. Right. And, and I, I would test out all sorts of subject lines. And one of them would work and one of them wouldn't. And I'd always go like, why does this one work? And I'd try my damnedest to, you know, build some sort of a, a predictive equation to, to do something with that. But I could never get it right. Like it was much more of a complex problem than, than, than I could work out. I could work out most problems, you know, so it was quite flummoxing. So then when I joined the, the MarTech company, they were operating in the email space. And I talked to like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of customers throughout the world. And the number one question that they would always ask me is like, what makes a subject line good? And my answer was always just, you know, try out a bunch of stuff and one of them might work. And that always felt really, really intellectually incurious to me, but I didn't have a better answer. So I got bored one day and I got talking to one of our devs and I'm like, Hey, could you download me like the 50,000 most recent subject lines our customers have sent out with their open rates and click rates and unsubscribe rates and stuff. Um, just so I can have a bit of a play with it. So then, you know, I was looking through, through the data and I built this little thing in Excel where you put in a keyword and then it would spit out um, the, the impact that, that keyword had on open rates, click rates, stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, it's, you know, it's cool. And it's neat. So I, I, I thought of a bunch of words and I tested them out and then I put them into a, to a white paper type thing um, and wrote a blog about it and, you know, and I clicked post on, on the blog and I went home that night. I got into work the next morning and our, our head of sales called me up and he's like, you just made my life a living hell. And I'm like, well, what, what's going on, man? Like, what's, what's the crack? So every time somebody downloaded that white paper, it created a lead in Salesforce or CRM system, which would then ping him a notification going, somebody's just downloaded this thing. And there was like 10,000 of them overnight. So his inbox just basically exploded, right? And it was all from people who were just interested in learning more about the language you should use in subject lines. And that's what I thought to myself, there's clearly demand for something here. And I did a quick scour of the market and there was just nothing credible out there. Other than like your just natural curiosity, did you have a sort of a, um, even at school, like a background in writing different things or just being curious of the phrases? Look, my, my mom was a languages teacher and my dad um, was a physicist stroke engineer who took an AI product to market in the 90s. So I guess I'm my, my parents' son. I'd call that a big yes. So Parry, with, with all that in mind, how would you sum up your company? 
So the concept is quite simple. You know, for years and years as marketers, we've been fed this story that we need the right message to the right person at the right time. Now, there's all sorts of personalization and segmentation tools to sort out the right person issue. That's a solved problem. And then the right time, we got APIs, we got triggers. You can send people messages within seconds based upon any action which they take. So we got the right time thing sorted. We spent so much time focusing on the right person in the right time, we've forgotten about the right message. So that's the exact problem that Frazy solves. We help brands say it better. And we do that by using advanced AI techniques to optimize and analyze the language which you use in your brand language optimization. Best way to think about it is this. If you get emails from like eBay, Walgreens, um, Domino's, you know, a whole bunch of brands which you probably interact with um, on a daily basis, they use us not only in email, but across the marketing spectrum um, to optimize the languages that or the language that their brands use. So you've probably bought stuff as a direct result um, of, of Frazee's kit. So I, I don't know if I should be apologizing or congratulating based upon that fact. How do you start off as a brand, you know, working with yourselves to, to find that golden message? So let's, let's step back a bit and, and let's think about the, the way that things used to be done, right? So let's say that we were going to do like, a, it doesn't matter if it's a Facebook ad and email and push message, like it doesn't matter. Let's just stick with email as the example to keep it simple. Let's say you work for a shoe company and you got to send out an email saying that shoes are half off, right? Pretty, pretty standard thing. The way that people used to work is they would fill out a briefing form and they would send that to, um, to a Don Draper type, the esteemed um, doyen of creativity and copywriting. Mr. Draper would sit there in his fancy three-piece suit in his corner Madison Avenue office and he'd put his feet up on the counter and he would look out the window wistfully, sipping on some whiskey, patting his secretary's bum and he would think. Mr. Draper would think and then he would think a bit more and then he would use his, his extreme creative prowess to write some language for you to then use. He would send that back to you and then you would go through it and you would put in your two cents about what you think is good, what you think is bad. Then you would show it to your boss and they put in their two cents and everybody has an opinion about language from the CEO to the janitor, right? So then the one you wound up going with and taking to market is the one that the most persuasive person in the audience or in, in your, your team uh, convinced you is the best one, often the boss, right? So what you're doing is you're extrapolating one person's gut feeling on millions and millions of, of people. Um, and I don't, I don't know about you, but gut feeling is fundamentally fallible. So that's the old way of working. The way that Frazy works is like this. Instead of briefing the esteemed Mr. Draper, you brief Frazy's AI, which is just a SaaS product which you log, log into. It then uh, runs it through what's called a natural language generation system, which will create thousands and thousands and thousands of ways of saying the same thing. Imagine a thousand Don Drapers on a thousand typewriters. Now, that by itself is not actually that useful. It, it, it piques a lot of intellectual curiosity, but you don't need thousands of ways of saying the same thing. You need a small amount of ways of saying something very effectively. So what we then do is we layer a deep learning engine. If you're wondering what deep learning is, it's a form of machine learning that sounds more expensive. Um, and we feed it through there where it takes all of the information that the thousand Don Drapers and a thousand typewriters have written, and then it ranks them from best to worst with higher accuracy than any human on the planet. We then sample from that ranking to give you the output of highly effective language. 
So what that effectively means is we are cutting out, first of all, the, the cognitive task of writing the same thing in a bunch of different ways, because that's actually quite challenging. But then we're cutting out this, this very biased task of trying to pick which one to then use and, 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 and trusting that one person's gut feeling is superior to everyone else's. We remove those two problems and you get, by clicking a single button, one bit of language that's more effective than what humans write. I mean, we're trying with our brands, obviously, to, to get the, the message out to the right people at the right time and the right place. And that's that. But it's the right message is at the heart of, of everything you, sh- you should be sending. And um, to your point you made you know, a minute ago, that's something that's something being forgotten. Absolutely, man. I mean, I could log into a, to a system right now and I could, you know, send a million messages to a million people by clicking a single button. But what if that message sucks? Then all that effort, all that operational efficiency that has built, been built up through technology stacks over the last 10 or 15 years, it's all just a waste of time and more importantly, a waste of money. If your message sucks, then you're farting in the wind because nobody's going to smell it. Prepare to take a great leap forward. Prepare to swim the English Channel and then drown in champagne. I've heard that you guys have had some really good luck with Walgreens. And so why don't you kind of give us a brief overview of the work that you've been doing with them? Yeah, we've really enjoyed working with Walgreens. We've worked with them for a while now, um, starting with a small bit and then just just gradually, you know, as the impact is felt throughout the org and the um, partnership has expanded further and further. Um, we, we've, we originally, of course, started working with them on the various revenue generating functions and what they reported back to us is the impact that Frazee's had has been in the in the millions of dollars of revenue impact which like I'm no accountant but that's good right um, but that's that's cool and we've got you know loads of stories like those from pretty much all of our clients like like that's sort of par for the course but what we've really been doing with Walgreens lately um, is, is really exciting where in the U.S. particularly they're one of the the prime providers of both COVID testing and COVID vaccination accessibility. Um, and they came to us asking, you know, like you've proven to us that, that your tech can um, like, like um, have a real sort of impact on, on, on iShare and action from the comms which we send out about our revenue generating functions. What if the target was not to maximize revenue, but the target was to maximize awareness of both availability of COVID tests and later on um, availability of vaccination appointments? Um, and and we, we thought to ourselves, you know, with all this stuff that's been going on for like the last while, we, we want to be part of the solution. And, and we were willing to basically drop everything and like do whatever we could to, to help achieve that that lofty goal so what we wound up doing is we wound up um pointing our tech with instead of the objective being revenue maximization the objective being awareness maximization of of those two specific goals at, at different time periods of course right and the the impact which walgreens has reported back has been like a 30 percent um awareness lift which is like that's a material impact when you think about the the scale that walgreens and their um and their sort of um, sister brands like Dwayne Reed have throughout the U.S., 
um, it, it's, it's been absolutely powerful. So we're super proud of like having done that. And like, it does make you think, you know, what Phrasey effectively does is it optimizes language to make people follow a certain course of, of action without being manipulative, without um, um, following a sort of like, like race to the bottom clickbait style thing, you know, like actually having a real sustainable lifetime value impact. The last year, was there anything that you guys particularly noticed or that the anything changed when COVID struck for that period of time? Because obviously the things that we saw from, from the messaging side, uh, there were there was a downward point where people were sending less because they were working out the right things to say. And also the messaging had to change. Yeah, man. Like in, in about, I think it was like March or April of 2020, um, suddenly every word that got put out in public by every company was scrutinized, um, like to a crazy level, to a, to an unsustainable, unscalable level. I mean, um, and I get why, because there was, there is hysteria, um, and, and uncertainty, um, and fear. And when you combine all of those things, you know, people, um, tend to become very risk averse. Um, but as, as things went on, you know, after two or three weeks, people realized that this was going to be for a while and things are, they didn't get back to normal, but they got back to sort of regular frequencies and people let marketers go and do their jobs again, instead of like everybody scrutinizing every cross T and dotted I kind of thing. But what's most interesting is not necessarily the, the, the variances in um, marketers perceptions about what they should and shouldn't do. What's more interesting is the variances in what consumers were actually responding to. And since we have, you know, a wide variety of people who send out like a load of messages to a load of people, and we've got the, the tools that we build in house to actually monitor and analyze this stuff at scale, we've seen some really interesting changes. Um, so like one is just the, the style of um, emojis, which people respond to now. So like, like there, there was a debate a few years ago going, should we use emojis or should, should we not? And I think like, like, like we're past that point, you know, emojis when they're contextually relevant um, can, can have like a beneficial impact. But if you just stick them in there as like a gimmick, then you may as well just use clickbait and be a scumbag. Right. So like now, now that like it's accepted that Emojis have taken the form of a sort of modern hieroglyph, um, and they're broad, they're they're broadly accepted as a as a linguistic structure. It's interesting to see how the usage of them has changed. Pre-COVID, there's a lot of people who would use um, sort of a, a, a time-based thing. So, you know, if there was a deal which was ending, there would be a little alarm clock or a little lightning bolt or stuff like that. As time went on, those became um, less impactful. The ones that became more impactful were ones that um, expressed like um, like some sort of happiness or like the sort of clasped hands, like like the like the gratitude thing, the the um, the um, the um, crying smiling guy that's on his angled side of it. You know what I mean? Um, ones like those actually um, were having much of a greater positive impact than they were previously. So I think. Like, I mean, I could theorize as to why, and I'm sure that, you know, whoever is listening to this has probably got their own theories as to why. The thing is, like, I'm not a theorist. What I know is that's what the data shows, and that's what, like, like our machines have automatically learned. So now, the language that Phrasey generates on the fly 
has adapted to how consumers have adapted, not just within an individual brand, but within the populace as a whole. It's really quite fascinating to deconstruct and theorize about. The theory doesn't matter. What matters is that it works. Are you seeing this vary by those industries? So like retail versus FinServe, for example, to very different industries. Are you seeing different emotions and language resonating? So first off, let me let me challenge one of the premises of that question. I don't believe that um, breaking things down into um, emotions is the way forward. The benefit of using a more advanced technology like Phrasy, where we have you know thousands and thousands of different parameters which, which it looks at, is it goes a level beyond you know sixteen or eighteen emotions that are easily interpretable by by, by the human brain. So. I'd be loath to try and break things down to going like this emotion is working better, this emotion is not working better because it's it's not. Emotions are not um, mutually exclusive things and they're not things which are binary. You can't have all the joy or none of the joy. You can be joyful and angry at the same time at different intensities, right? So I I hear a lot of chatter these days of people like going back to the, the, the 1950s theories, like the wheel of emotions and stuff like that. And the thing is, like the, the technology has outpaced that. Um, and the only reason why people talk about that um, is because they, they don't have a more robust, technically sound method to actually measure this stuff. Now, what I can say is there has been a shift um, in, in the language which people have, have, you, have been using or that customers have been approving. Um, and those are constraints that are enforced by customers, not by consumers themselves. Um, marketers have generally become more risk averse um, in, in the last year. Um, not just because of um, coronavirus, but there's there's this risk of, of, of being shamed on Twitter, right? Where like everybody is at home every day, all the time these days, pretty much, right? Like not everywhere, but people are spending a lot more time at home. So a lot more people are going into to, to Twitter wormholes and the risk of being, you know, like canceled, if that's a thing which exists, I'm not even sure if it does, but if it does, like that risk is super high. So marketers have re reacted, you know, every action has an equal and opposite reaction and the risk of being canceled, the risk of being shamed, the reaction has been marketers with their language have become much, much more risk averse than, than they were previously. So whether or not the emotions um, have changed, you know, to, to which customers respond or something is by the by, really. Um, what, what matters more is the, the, the language that marketers are putting out has been um, less edgy, less risky in the last year. Um, so they're sort of dictating how, like, like what, what sentiments, what, what sort of reactions customers are eliciting. You know, there, there's not, there's not a huge amount of, of 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 risk taking of challenging going on these days for fear of this this um public shaming stuff which which goes on just a final one on this this point about your know, brand's perspectives on on how they're writing and the sort of the tone they're using will they come to yourselves at Frazy and say um you know can we try something a little bit edgier can you have an influence with this 
Absolutely. And, and it, it sort of, it goes both ways. Like, like sometimes customers have a very good reason for the approach, which they currently have, and they want to, to optimize within the constraints, which they've set. And that's totally cool. What usually happens is like when customers sign up, they'll, they'll send us their brand guidelines and we'll then effectively codify those brand guidelines into um, constraints, which guide the, uh, the, the various generation models, which, which we use. Right. The thing is, there's no um, market standard for what brand guidelines should be. So they come in all shapes and sizes and they get interpreted by different people in the organization in different ways. So in my opinion, when you have a brand guideline documentation, um, which is um, interpretable in different ways, um, ambiguous at points, entrusting that to humans to then scale and write with is incredibly dangerous because we can always find a way to justify anything. Like humans are, we're the best justifiers in the world, right? Like that's why we have um, thousands of lawyers who who argue um, cases against laws that are black and white, right? Because everything can be argued in different ways. The thing is, with something like your 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 brand, your brand's voice, right? You want that to be in, inarguable. You want that to be like set so that every piece of advertising you put out, regardless of channel, adheres to those core brand voice values, right? The only way you can do that is by codifying it. Um, and the only way that you can police that codification is either by having like a, 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 a brand sort of police in-house who will have their own um, bottlenecks and biases and interpretations or turn it into a program and then use like high tech like Frazy does to operate within those codified constraints. The argument which I'm effectively making is that machines are actually better at um, experimenting within the constraints that humans set, but humans still need to set what those constraints are. That's the sort of um, balancing act between um, man and machine, if you will. You're already working with quite a few Cheetah Digital clients and doing some amazing things, but for everyone else, you know, how can Cheetah Digital clients work with Frazy? How can they, you know, catch up with you? You can come to my house. I've got a, I've got a bunch of sauerkraut um, that I'm making right now. So if you come back in a couple of weeks, it will be fermented just perfectly for sharing. Um, I'm going to braise it. But really, like, like there, there is only one phrase. It's uh, spelled phrase with an extra E, P-H-R-A-S-E-E. -E. Find us, check us out. Um, we've got a plugin with Cheetah that we just launched, I think, a couple of months ago, which is really cool, which means that the entire experience is seamless. Um, so really, the only thing stopping you is the status quo, and, and marketers of the future can no longer let the status quo hold them back. Um, so it, it's probably about time that if you send out lots of uh, emails, if you send out lots of messages across lots of channels to lots of people, you probably need to say it better. So you probably need Frazy. So the last thing that we like to do is conclude with some uncaged wisdom. So this can be pertaining to career, personal life, anything throughout your entire life. I need to say something wise. Um, I think that anybody who works in marketing should um, put down any book which is written by a self-proclaimed marketing expert. You know, the best books that I've ever read about marketing are 
Um, Candide by Voltaire, which teaches you all about scarcity and the importance of it. It was, it was written in about 1750 or something. And No Logo by Naomi Klein. It's written about 20 years ago, and it's all about how um, marketing can go wrong and cause a lot of problems for lots of people. So, I mean, to me, it's all about stepping outside of your comfort zones. If you only read stuff by people who are stuck in your wormhole, you're never going to grow. You're never going to do anything different. Think, you know, outside of your your world. Follow some people on Twitter who you don't actually like and listen to what they have to say. Get rid of the block button. The block button is this scourge of public discourse. Listen to, to different points of view and make up your own mind. Okay, well, thanks for this. Appreciate it. Right on. Subscribe to Uncaged Wisdom for the latest and greatest in digital marketing insights and how they're solving problems with software and strategies.